Hi, friends. How are we doing? Well, thanks for being here today. Happy Father's Day. This morning we continue our study of the New Testament book of Philippians. Each week we're working verse by verse. Through this letter, the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends in a church community called Philippi. Now, this weekend, we're circling back to cover a passage I intentionally skipped. I saved it for Father's Day weekend. Before we study the verse, let's invite God to help us listen and learn. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of this verse cut through our attitudes and our excuses to penetrate our souls with a truth we desperately need. May you catch us off guard with the simple but serious message of this passage. And may we receive it with humility and joy as you change us from within. Thank you for speaking to us. Help us hear you today. In the name of King Jesus, amen. Last fall, Chris Tomlin released a song cherished by many. It's called Good, Good Father. Every time we sing this song in our community, people say to me how much they love that song. The lyrics remind us who God is and who we are. And the melody makes the message portable. We can remind ourselves of the truth of that song on good days and on dark days. Sometimes we need a reminder that he's a good, good father. Well, I've tried to get my daughters to sing that song about me. It hasn't worked yet. But I've taken it upon myself to sing it for them, especially when they're annoyed with me. I sing it for them when I ask them to do something that they don't want to do. If I ask them to clean their room and they protest, I respond, I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. I sing it when I'm teasing them. Last week, my eight-year-old daughter, Alyssa, and I were having a great father-daughter moment after VBS. We were sharing a mirror together. We were looking in the mirror, removing face paint, and Alyssa began telling me all about VBS. She describes the Bible story and the games and the craft. But she says, Dad, I didn't win the prize. At the end of the night, I say, I'm sorry, baby. But doesn't that make you a loser? (laughs) Dad! I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. I had a big opportunity to prove myself a good, good father when Suzanne was in Swaziland for a couple weeks. How many times did I hear, that's not the way mommy does it. Or, mommy doesn't make us do this. Well, mommy is on another continent. (laughs) I'm a good, good father. While she was gone, 
the kids were constantly playing with these three things. Hula hoops, a set of crutches, and a gigantic rubber ball. Now, let me, let me explain all this. Everywhere I turned, I found one daughter hula hooping, another one swinging on a crutch, and the other on a rubber ball rolling around the house. Sometimes they found a way to do all three of these things at once. I got so sick of seeing these things and dodging these things and tripping over these things. I hid them. (laughs) Don't tell my children, but I put them in the furnace room because my girls never go in the furnace room. Do you know why I did this? Because I'm a good, good father. Thinking about auditioning for the worship team. Because I'm a good, good singer. I have a Father's Day message for you today. It's a message for dads. And it's a message for moms. It's a message for kids and colleagues, friends and frenemies, employers and employees. It's a message for people who are suffering. It's a message for people who aren't being treated fairly. It is a message for people who are in conflict. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says simply in verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Paul calls each of us as disciples of Jesus to a demeanor of gentleness. And he says our gentleness should be obvious to everyone. Our gentleness should be obvious to our children. It should be obvious to our co-workers. It should be obvious to our spouses. It should be obvious to strangers. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. How are we doing with that? Now, before you assess yourself, let's set the parameters. Because you can't get an accurate measurement of your gentleness when you're happy, or when you're at church, or when you're at a petting zoo. Everybody's gentle at a petting zoo. True gentleness, the gentleness Paul describes, can only be measured in moments of difficulty. True gentleness reveals itself when your needs aren't met, when your rights are violated, when your will is crossed. The Greek word Paul uses for gentleness here is epikes. Epikes means kind, courteous, tolerant, yielding, patient. But it's not a gentleness you display when you cradle an infant. It's the gentleness you display when you receive an insult. And Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident when someone cuts in front of you. Let your gentleness be evident when you're inconvenienced by an employee. Let your gentleness be evidenced when a fellow passenger hogs both armrests on an airplane. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
How do you respond when you're not treated right? When you receive poor service at a restaurant, when a colleague bites your head off, when a friend makes a snarky comment, when someone sins on you, do you sin back? Now, in application, if you fuss and fume and cuss and curse when you don't get your way, you may need to work on your gentleness. Did I say that gently enough? A few weeks ago, we read the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 7, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Do you have an enemy? Okay, you, you may not have an arch enemy. You may not hate anyone. But how do you interact with someone who hurt you? How do you talk to someone who disappointed you? How do you treat the person who made you look bad or poked at your insecurities? Do you love them or snub them? Because you can't do both. Jesus says, love your enemies. He could have said, tolerate your enemies. He could have said, don't harm your enemies. But he says, love your enemies. Too often, we define love as not hate. But love is realized in actions. Jesus doesn't want us watering down the world, the word, so he defines it for us. Look at verse 27. He says, do good to those who hate you. Biblical love is not merely a positive feeling tucked away in your heart. Biblical love is about action. Love isn't passive. It isn't simply not harming. Love does good. Love serves. Love gives. Love forgives. Do good to those who hate you. Then verse 28, bless those who curse you. To bless someone is to ask God to give his favor to them. Think about the colleague who got the promotion over you. Think about the girl who used to be your friend until she started dating the guy who dumped you. Now, invite God to treat them favorably. Ask God to bless them. Similarly, verse 28, pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for the person who offended you. Pray for the person who snapped at you. Pray for the person who made your life miserable. That might be a rival at work. It could be a former employee, a former spouse. Jesus says, pray for them. That's not normal. That's not natural. That's not fair. But friends, fair isn't working. Just look around your world. Fair isn't mending marriages. Fair is ripping us to pieces. Fair isn't working. So Jesus says, don't play fair. Instead, break the cycle of retaliation. Break the cycle of reaction. Break the cycle of anger and irritation. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, remember, gentleness... This word in Philippians, it's an attitude and action revealed when an individual isn't treated fairly. It's supposed to characterize, characterize your response when your motives are misjudged, when your children aren't listening, when your spouse doesn't meet your needs, even though you've explained what you need 89 times. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. To illustrate this, Jesus offers a few examples 
I intentionally revisit these passages every year because in their meaning, we find the essence of our discipleship to him. Luke 6, verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. When we read passages like this, we fear that Jesus has signed us up to be the world's doormats. As if he wants us to cave when we're confronted, fold when we're challenged, let the bullies of the world push us around. Because somehow that'll send a good message. Or somehow it'll make the world a better place. I don't think that's what he intends. There's a parallel passage in Matthew that sheds a little light on the subject. Matthew 5, verse 39. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Jesus specifically refers to the right cheek. And there's a reason. How many of you are right-handed? Raise your right hand. Okay. You know, 70 to 90% of the world's population is right-handed. If I, using my right hand, were to slap normally, which cheek would I strike? Your left. To slap the right cheek, I would need to smack you with the back of my hand. Key point. In the ancient Near East, a backhanded slap was less an act of violence and more an act of dishonor. Any slap on the face merited legal action, deserving anything from a small fine to lopping off one's ear. Slapping was a serious insult in the ancient world, but a backhanded slap incurred a double penalty. Before we move on, I want you to see this is not a comment on self-defense as it's popularly applied. It does, however, have something to say about our defensiveness. More on that in a moment. Back to Luke 6. We'll see a couple more examples. What do you think of this one? Verse 29. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) If someone steals from you, give them a little extra. Be generous in the face of of injustice. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. You have got to be kidding. Give to everyone who asks. Every person you encounter on the street, every person who asks you for anything, if I ask you for your car, do you have to hand me the keys? What are you driving, by the way? What, what about your house or your 401k? And if your neighbor takes your new lawnmower and locks it in his garage, are followers of Jesus just supposed to quietly buy a new one? I trust you see the problem with this text. But rest assured, Jesus is not asking you to be a pushover. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives explicit instruction on how to confront someone when they sin against you. He's not asking you to sit idly by while people walk over you. Neither does he mean we have to give everything to everyone who asks for anything. The Proverbs speak clearly about giving to the poor, not just that it should be done, but that it should be done wisely. Giving someone what they ask may not only harm you and your family, it may not be good for them either. A simple scratch-the-surface interpretation of these texts misses the point. Jesus is not asking you to be a doormat. His words are intended 
to shock. It's a rabbinic technique used to make a point. He does this on other occasions. Elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells people struggling with lust to gouge out their eyes. He's using extreme language to make a point, but he's not trying to address each complexity or answer every question. He intends to stun his audience and let them see how their perspective on life must utterly change. Think about it. The examples he gives are examples of people being disgraced and degraded. The slap on the cheek brought dishonor. The thief was stealing. The beggar was taking advantage. All are acts of injustice. Even the one about giving. Uh, you earned your money. You worked hard for it. Why? Why should you have to give it to someone who doesn't deserve it? Someone who didn't earn it? It's not fair. The fair response to injustice is to retaliate, fight back, even the score. But if you do that, the war will escalate. The evil will continue to go round and round. So Jesus says, don't play fair. Play better than fair. Play by the rules of grace and love. Now we talk about this idea a lot around here because Jesus talks about it a lot. Maybe you have a colleague who ridicules your work. Maybe you have a mother-in-law who can't say anything nice. Maybe you are fed up with your wife's selfishness. Everything in you wants you to let them have it. Everything in you wants to turn the tables and give them a taste of your own medicine. No wonder so many friendships fall apart. No wonder so many marriages go bad. There's no one to reverse the dynamic. There's no one to stop the madness. There's no one to break the cycle. Jesus says, you need to be that person. You need to break the cycle. And let your gentleness be evident to all. Jesus doesn't want us to see conflict as just winning and losing. It's not just a choice between fight or flight. He gives us a third option. It is love. If we respond with love, it reverses the dynamic. It breaks the cycle. But here's the problem. In the moment, the fight seems so right. Maybe you have an insecure friend who, whether she realizes it or not, likes to make the people around her insecure as well. She just said something cruel to make you squirm. What do you do? You know her. You know just what you could say. You know just what button to push to make her cower in humiliation. But followers of Jesus don't fight fire with fire or anger with anger or ridicule with ridicule. Retaliation and retribution simply keep evil in circulation. Two wrongs don't make a right. They just make the world a worse place to live. Mm -mm. Followers of Jesus don't fight back. We love back. And we walk around this world wearing our gentleness on our sleeves. That's the analogy Paul uses. And a different letter. In Colossians 3, verse 12, he writes, Clothe yourselves with gentleness. He says we should wear gentleness 
like a garment. Here Paul uses a different word for gentleness, but it's a synonym. It's the Greek word proutes. Now, proutes is sometimes translated meekness. For the contemporary reader, meek is a frightening word. For some, it's more frightening than holy or righteous. For some, it's more frightening than judgment or hell. Because to us, a meek person is a weak person. Someone who lacks self-confidence, a pushover. Is God asking us to cave to the desires of strong-willed and assertive people? Is God asking us to be losers? No. See, meek is not weak. Meekness has nothing to do with a lack of strength. Two of the strongest leaders in the Bible were renowned for their meekness. Moses and Jesus. That sounds like pretty good company to me. Meekness is a deliberate exercise of the will in which one responds with gentleness instead of using power for selfish ambition or retaliation. See, meekness does not equal weakness because only the strong can be meek. It is the weak and insecure who bully people to bend them to their will. Meekness and gentleness Keep us from thinking we need to fight back, shove back, bite back. Gentleness doesn't need to win. Gentleness needs to love. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do you trust God enough to allow gentleness to infiltrate your business life? What about your home? What about that impossible relationship? Do you have the faith to bring gentleness into the next conflict with your husband? Do you have the faith to bring gentleness into the next confrontation with a colleague? Leaders, hear me. You can be both candid and kind when you bring feedback to an employee. And you know, You can fire someone with the love and gentleness of Jesus. I I wish you could see the power of gentleness. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is great counsel regarding word choice and tone during conflict. Anger begets anger. Volume provokes emotion. Harsh words incite defensiveness. But gentleness... And a cool head, trump wrath and rage. Well, of course, it's okay to be angry. Anger itself is not a sin. But anger makes you more susceptible to sin. Henry Cloud says, anger is a signal that there is a problem, but it's usually not a good tool to fix the problem. Hey, it may be true that your anger is justified. You were wronged, you were wounded, you were mistreated. But educate yourself on the competing powers of anger and gentleness. They bring different outcomes. Anger almost always feels violating, even when it's justified. If if you make a minor mistake while driving and someone blares their horn at you, with or without 
an accompanying hand gesture, that grates against your humanity. Even if you deserve the honk, the anger can feel like an assault. Anger often gets in the way of the truth we desperately need to bring. It's so loud, it can drown out what we're trying to say. But gentleness, on the other hand, gentleness can shape the environment. Gentleness can get the person in a place in which it will be easier to hear. New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass writes, gentleness nurtures people, respects them, and allows them to drop defenses and deal more objectively with issues. Now, they may still react. Some people can't hear difficult truth about themselves without feeling wronged. Some people can't hear no without feeling assaulted and offended. But gentleness increases the chances that they will be able to listen. And that's good for everybody. So let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Parents, why do we have to be angry when we discipline our kids? Why do we have to grit our teeth and throw a hissy fit when our kids disobey? Here's some of the best parenting advice I've ever received. When it comes to disciplining your kids, the key is to mean it without being mean. Mean it without being mean. Isn't that great? I use it with adults just as much as children. Maybe there are some moms who need to hear this message. We stress and we strive to provide and protect. We do everything in our power as parents to give our children every opportunity to grow academically, athletically, and relationally. But do you realize one of the best things you could do for your child is create a home where peace reigns. One of the best, best things you could do for your child is to model life-giving anger and Jesus-inspired gentleness. Dads, because of your rage, your kids may be afraid of you. And you may think your intensity is just an effective way of getting what you want. But one day you may regret it. There are couples in this room who are missing out on intimacy and connection because of a lack of gentleness in their communication and confrontation. Your marriage is cold, your conversation is dead, and much of it is because of pent-up or poured-out hostility. So, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I suspect some of us have developed some bad habits along the way. When we're insulted, when we're inconvenienced, first response, (laughs) it's a habit. 
But as Dr. Willard says, habits are not like the law of gravity. Habits can be broken. Here's the important point. This is essential. The training required to break your bad habits will not be done for you. The training required to break your bad habits will not be done for you. But neither can you do them all on your own. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No, these aren't the fruit of mere hard work and sheer discipline. They are the natural result of life in the Spirit. The closer you get to God, the stronger He will make you. The closer you get to God, the easier it will be to respond with meekness. As you get closer to Jesus, you'll catch yourself being gentle with screaming kids and screaming clients and screaming co-workers. As you get closer to Jesus, you will find you don't have to be afraid for your well-being and protection. You don't have to power up like you used to. Now, Paul tells us why. Paul tells us why in his letter to the church at Philippi. In the very same verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. If you recognize in real time that the Lord is near, you'll be a lot less afraid of what they can do to you. If you recognize in real time that the Lord is near, you'll be a lot less afraid of how their action or inaction will affect you because you're not alone. You really can let your gentleness be evident to all. But maybe it would help to have an example to follow. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the apostle Peter reminds his reader, verse 20, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We should follow his lead. Now, when Jesus suffered, Peter tells us, verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is a quotation from Isaiah 53. He's reminding us Jesus suffered without sinning. He broke the cycle of sin and selfishness. Verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus found the power to let love and gentleness win By trusting the Father. Now, when God calls you to gentleness, he's asking you to trust him, to do conflict his way. When your mother's criticism cuts deep, when a co-worker's negligence costs the team, he wants you to entrust the whole situation to him and respond with gentleness, just like Jesus. Now, maybe at this point you protest. Hey, He's Jesus. How's it fair to use him as a model? And you make an interesting point. The fact of the matter is, when Jesus prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He was merely doing what comes natural to him. So how could it be reasonable to look to him 
as a model. Here's how. Verse 24. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and restore our relationship to God so sin might be conquered, so justice might be restored, so evil can be taken out of circulation. On the cross, Jesus gently and magnificently died so our souls could be healed, so we could live like he lived for righteousness, which is better than fairness. We, we, we can look to the cross not simply as an example, not, for, not simply for an example. We can look to the cross to find healing and help to live for righteousness. So I want to look to the cross now by receiving communion together. Communion is a beautiful tradition of Christ's followers in which we remember his sacrifice, his body broken, his blood spilled. In a few moments, we'll pass trays down the aisle. If you'd like to join us, just hold on to the bread and cup. We'll receive it together once everyone's been served. You're also welcome to let the trays pass if you'd feel more comfortable. While we're served, I thought we'd end where we, we began by singing the song, Good, Good Father. I'm going to ask Jeff to come up and lead us in this song because this is a, this is a song that reminds us of the character of our God on Father's Day. Now, read the lyrics to this song carefully when you sing it. He loves us very much. And because he loves us, we can be gentle. He's very near. And because he's near, we can be meek. Imagine the freedom of actually being able to choose gentleness in a moment of frustration. When someone bites, you don't have to bite back anymore. Imagine being free from fury. Imagine dealing with the difficulties of your day without aggression or enmity. Imagine confronting annoying trivialities and massive crises with patience and kindness and love. Imagine being able to finally lay down those well-used weapons of sarcasm and derision. Picture your employees responding to your candor with gratitude and humility because your words are without wrath. Picture your kids melting into your arms when you discipline instead of running for their lives. Can you picture it? That's what God wants for you. So let's ask for his help. Lord, may our gentleness be evident to all. When we're inconvenienced, when people don't listen, when they change plans on us, may our gentleness be obvious to everyone when we talk about politics. May our gentleness be obvious to everyone when we talk about politics. May our gentleness be obvious to everyone when we talk about politics.
Lord, help us to get honest with ourselves so we can stop minimizing our rage, saying it's not that bad. May we get honest with ourselves so we can stop blaming our responses on the people around us. But instead, change us from within. Mold us, shape us into the kind of people who naturally respond with gentleness. Give us the creativity and the commitment to find the tools we need to learn how to do this. Put in our lives the kinds of friends we need who can give us honest feedback and hold us accountable. Teach us how to get this right. Give us the bravery, the courage to see a counselor. Whatever we need to do, give us the faith to do it so that our gentleness may be evident to all. So we can fix that friendship, save that marriage, and rule our souls. We pray this together in the name of Jesus. He died that we might live. Amen. I'd like to invite our hosts to come forward. Join your hearts together as you reflect on the character of our God. Revealed on the cross and revealed in this song. moment as we receive communion together may we be inspired by the way you responded to insult and injury first corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 the apostle paul writes the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup was the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes would you take and drink I am so thankful that my friend Jeff sang that song instead of me. And I want to give you some homework for the week. Our tradition at Capitol is to give you something to work on when you leave, something to, some way to engage God throughout the week so we can em- embed these, these ideas into our lives. And the homework today is very simple. I give you only one assignment. It's this verse. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I want you to commit this one to memory. Mull it over. Process it. Take it with you. Throughout your day and throughout your week. The chances are high. 
You will not need this text before you leave the parking lot today. But you may need it before that meeting on Wednesday. You know that meeting I'm talking about? The, the reason we do things like this is so we can tuck these things away in our soul, hide them in our heart, so that they'll be available to us when we really need them in a moment of crisis. So take that verse. You can download that image from our online bulletin, bulletin.capitalchurch.com. Look for it on our social media accounts later this week. Grab it. Send it to a friend, whatever you might need to do to, to make this a regular part of your life. Because I'm telling you, it really works. Try it. Try it. Set your cell phone to buzz you multiple times throughout the day. And when it buzzes, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to let anybody know you're doing it. But just in your heart and in your mind, say, let your gentleness be heaven at all. Let your gentleness be heaven at all. Let your gentleness be heaven at all. And see what the Spirit does. See what God does in your soul. And how it fleshes out in the way you act and interact with others. Look out. It might just change you forever. Let me tell you a story. Last week, I was taking my 13-year-old daughter to a youth event with her church friends. And on my way there, I get a phone call from my wife. And she says, Troy... Everything's okay. Morgan's okay. But we were on a bike ride. And she was hit by a car. I need you to come now. That's a moment. That's a moment as a dad that you never want to be in. But I knew it was a moment for me to model faith my 13-year-old daughter sitting next to me. So, I prayed. I prayed my prayers. Emma prayed her prayers. And we didn't know what we'd find. We didn't know what happened. We didn't know the details. We didn't know anything. But we drove, and it was a long drive. Apparently, what happened is Suze and our twins were on their bikes legally crossing in a crosswalk when a driver on the other side of the intersection wasn't paying attention, didn't look up in front of him and just punched it. And Suzanne was already on the other side of the crosswalk watching this happen, screaming. It was too late. Morgan was in the middle of the road. He plowed into Morgan. She went flying off her bike and onto the pavement. I showed up. And I found my little baby girl, eight years old, sitting on the sidewalk with a smile on her face. <laughs> Friends, no blood, no broken bones, no tears. Wow. We were stunned. She surrounded by a dozen people, medical professionals in our neighborhood who saw it happen or heard it happen came running. It was incredible. She actually liked being the center of attention. <laughs> well, after I got my bearings, I found my little girl's okay, and I start to look around this crowd of people. 
And I could tell which one was the driver of the vehicle because he was the only one with a terrified look on his face. Now, in that moment, what does a daddy do? What does a daddy say? How does a daddy respond to the man who just drove his car into his daughter? Well, it just so happens. I had a passage of of scripture that I had been mulling over again and again and again in preparation for this message. You know what that passage was, anybody? (laughs) Say it with me. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Please stand. My friends, if you came with a need, we'll have some people waiting here at the front. Please come up. Ask one of them to pray for you. They'd be delighted to do so. My prayer for all of you is this. You know what my prayer is, don't you? Whether you're a father or a mother, a brother or a sister, an employer or an employee, may your gentleness be evident to all this week. Thanks for being here. Grace and peace.